Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Dear friends in Christ, after 36 years of darkness, a blind man was able to see again. And no, I'm not talking about blind Bartimaeus or the man who was born blind, who Jesus had also healed. I'm talking about a man named Jerry. And Jerry had to see it to believe it. Or more accurately, Jerry had to see with it to believe it. Dr. William Dobell, he had created an innovative device after 30 years of research of vision correction for the blind. And it's really the first useful artificial eye. And there's an artist's drawing of the back portion that's connected to the brain there. And uh, this is how it really looks. The invention includes a, a mini camera that's attached to a, a pair of sunglasses. And there's a dictionary-sized computer that's attached to a, a belt pack. And by getting that device to work, it's not any easy task, of course. Jerry had to undergo brain surgery in the year 2000. And surgeons had implanted a platinum foil in his brain between the, the brain and the, the dura, which is the membrane that surrounds the brain. The foil is covered with electrodes. And they're, they're tiny metal pieces that conduct electric pulses which connect directly to the brain cells that control sight. And the electrodes, they attach to a wire that protrudes from Jerry's skull, and it's through a small hole, and it hooks up to a computer. Now, no one ever said that restoring sight was going to be a, really a pretty sight. But for Jerry to see an image, the camera takes a snapshot of a picture, and it, the image shoots through that wire to his portable computer, and that translates it to the series of electrical pulses. And the pulses then race through the wire connected to Jerry's brain. And finally, those pulses, like I said before, they stimulate the brain cells into thinking that he's seeing. Dr. Dobell says that every electrode produces dots of light in the patient's visual field, sort of like stars in the sky. And it makes the world look like it's a photo negative. Dr. Dobell passed away in the year 2004. Uh, Jerry was a, a pretty private individual, uh, but uh, was able to get a, a, a picture of him I found when he visited a Lutheran elementary school called Eltingtonville in Staten Island, New York. That was in the year 2011. Uh, three years before Jerry's own death. He did make it into the Guinness Book of World Records for having the first artificial eye that did work. The view that Jerry had enjoyed you know, may not have been perfect, but it made him a believer. Emerging from a world of darkness for those 36 years, he was seeing really 
dots of light in those visual fields and that photo negative of reality, which is infinitely more than his eyes had experienced beforehand. Like today's gospel from John, when the disciple Thomas had really been blinded by grief and doubt, what Jerry was able to see made all the difference in the world. It's hard to find fault with Jerry or with Thomas. After all, most of us in our activities each day, don't we live by the motto, seeing is believing? If someone says that they want to offer you a a classic car with low mileage and a perfect body, I think you want to really look at that car before you give the money over to that person. Or maybe you've got a friend who says that, you know, they, they say, well, there's a very attractive, perfectly charming person for you. And all that they say about that person besides that is, well, he or she, they've got a great personality. Seeing is believing. When you think about it, the disciple Thomas is really more like us than he was like Jerry, who was blind. You've got to give Jerry credit, though. After all, he took a leap of faith as he went through this surgery and had the installation of experimental technology within him. For Thomas and for so many of us, believing doesn't happen without seeing. When those other disciples were there on that first Easter night, they said, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas, his response is, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas thinks he's some kind of medical examiner, like in CSI or forensic files. He wants visible proof. He wants to see the crucified Christ as the risen Lord. He wants to see blood, nail prints in the hand, a gash in the side. For him, forensic evidence is really crucial. Fortunately for Thomas, Jesus is willing to provide the evidence that he wants. A week later, Jesus does again appear to the disciples, and he says to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. The visible proof of the resurrection is undeniable here. And Thomas cries out, My Lord and my God. That single sentence, which some say is the climax of John's gospel, contains one of the earliest Christian confessions of faith saying, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord and my God. We would say that same type of confession even today. But the scene here doesn't end with like a crescendo of music and closing credits. Jesus isn't finished with Thomas yet. He says, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If we were there, we'd say, Thomas, there's more to faith than meets the eye. Jesus wants Thomas and the other disciples to know that believing does not depend on seeing. Jesus' words have long been known as a 
specific admonition to Thomas. And yet these comments were directed not only to Thomas, but to all the disciples who had behaved in precisely the same way as their doubting partner in ministry. Not one of them had believed in the absence of some evidence. Peter and John, earlier in that chapter of chapter 20, when they came to the tomb, it says that they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And although John was the first to believe, as he looked in and he saw the one head linen there, not just thrown, but neatly folded and placed to the side. You know, he had believed on less evidence than the other disciples had before they believed. It was only when they saw Jesus that John says the disciples were overjoyed. John now brings his book to a close. And he's providing the reader with a statement for his purpose in writing. And after conceding that Jesus had provided many other signs in the presence of his disciples, he acknowledges that not all of them have been recorded. John's Gospel also tells us that he has written his book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What has been written has been to help those who have not seen to believe. And also to avoid the error of Thomas and those other disciples whose faith depended on their senses instead of upon the word of God. Jesus is challenging us to take a leap of faith, to leap without looking. And John is encouraging us to believe in Jesus based on what we hear in his gospel and not on forensic or empirical evidence. Think about those events that happened on Easter Day. John had already shared the scene which occurred between Mary and Jesus, where her joy and her belief only comes after she recognizes that voice of Jesus when he says to her, Mary. And then she clearly sees him for who he is. And he's not this this gardener now as she was thinking in her depression. John also provides further information as to the manner and location of Jesus' first appearance to the disciples. The gang was all there, except for, of course, Judas and then Thomas, who was not with them that first night. They're meeting in a house behind locked doors. Why? For fear of the Jews. The report they had heard from Mary Magdalene and the other women, it was routinely dismissed as being an idle tale. Luke writes, when the women came from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, the others with them, who told this to the apostles. But the apostles did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. The fear of the authorities may have also been grounded in the belief that the disciples thought that they would be accused of raiding the tomb and making off with that body of Jesus. Are we ready to see? Are we ready to believe? 
to be stronger in our faith. You know, most of us will say, yeah, yeah, sure. But the problem is, we'd like to see at least some visions of light in our vision field, like the stars in the sky. At times, there would be that, that we're going through, we would just like to settle on one electrical impulse, perhaps, that God is really present, that he would show us he's right here. Like when we're laid off at work, or when we're faced with a debilitating illness, when we struggle with family problems, when we're burdened with the boredom of life, perhaps, when we're caught in a financial crisis, Perhaps it's when our spiritual well has run dry. Or when we have no emotional strength and we have nothing left to give. And it's at that point we want just something, anything from God to say, I'm here with you. Well, one flash of light comes from Peter's first letter that we read earlier. And there he writes that God in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. And it's new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The good news is that our hope is not stuck in an ancient, dusty past. But instead it's in a living, breathing, 21st century hope that is with us now. And it's a hope that does point us to the future. Peter, I think, can beat Thomas in any contest. Because... Peter's always pushing forward and not backward. His focus is not so much on the crucifixion wounds of Jesus Christ, but it's on what the risen Lord Jesus will do in the days to come. The crucifixion for Peter was then, and the resurrection is now. He says that we have been born anew into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And it's an inheritance, too, that's kept in heaven for you and for me. And it's for all those who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. It's as if Peter is saying, you know, come along with me. The best is yet to come, folks as we look forward to eternal life, as we look forward to those resurrected bodies, just as Christ was resurrected from the dead. Christ is risen! There is more to faith than meets the eye. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. Amen.